0: Capos are really huge industrial operations that hold hundreds, thousands, sometimes even over a million animals in close confinement in buildings or feedlots rather than out in pastures. And these capos are meant to raise as many animals as possible as quickly and as cheaply as possible. And, you know, all of this happens at the expense of the environment, um, nearby community members, small farmers, and the animals
1: themselves. Perhaps you know the term CAFOs, but if you don't, CAFO, that's C-A-F-O, stands for Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations. The vast majority of the 9 billion animals raised each year for food in the United States are raised in CAFOs. Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. As you might imagine, KFOs aren't pretty farms with wide green pastures where cattle, pigs, or chickens spend their days grazing and relaxing. Animals in KFOs live miserable lives in extremely close confinement without even the ability to turn around. They stand in their own excrement, breathing in noxious gases that surround them, unable to move, to run, or to lie down. The animal waste from CAFOs are also a threat to human health. They're spread on the land, where they make their way into rivers, streams, and other drinking water sources, and they contain bacteria, pathogens, antibiotics, heavy metals, and other contaminants. According to the National Resources Defense Council, the giant agribusinesses that operate CAFOs actively prevent information on the harms they cause from being given to the public. The Environmental Protection Agency is charged with regulating the quality of our water under the Clean Water Act. But when it comes to CAFOs, regulations are ignored. Shamefully, the EPA doesn't even have data on how many CAFOs there are and where they are located. Our focus in this program is on CAFOs and the EPA. My guest, Cara Goad, is a lawyer with an organization called Earth Justice, which is trying to force the EPA to take action on the water pollution caused by CAFOs. I asked Cara to describe what Earth Justice does.
0: Earth Justice is a national nonprofit environmental law organization. And to describe our overall work, we say that we use the power of the law and the strength of partnership to protect people's health, preserve magnificent places and wildlife, advance clean energy, and combat climate change. And to do all of these things, we both fight harmful and polluting activities. And we also work to accelerate the adoption of more sustainable practices. So, Earth Justice has over 200 lawyers in 15 offices all across the country. And our lawyers work together with our policy experts, our scientists, and then also communication strategists to serve more than 1,000 public interest clients. And you know, I, I think our slogan really captures our purpose. We're here because the Earth needs a good lawyer. I
1: love that slogan. Uh, but tell me about yourself and what brought you to Earth Justice.
0: I'm a senior associate attorney with Earth Justice's Sustainable Food and Farming Program, and I've been with the program and with Earth Justice for about two and a half years now. Um, I came to Earth Justice because the organization does really impactful, really leading work on environmental issues on behalf of communities across the country. And I really wanted to support that work. But, you know, I have to say at the time when I started, I didn't really know much about our food system and all of the climate harms and the environmental harms that it causes. But through my time with the program, I've learned that, you know, looking at the full life cycle of our food production it accounts for a third of global greenhouse gas emissions, and it causes really serious other water and air and other toxic pollution. But these harms, they don't receive a ton of attention from other environmental organizations or really from lawmakers. And so that's what really motivates me to do this work, to, to bring to light the harms that our current food system causes and also work toward a more, a more sustainable and more just
1: I'm so excited to hear you say that because it's hard to find any environmental groups that will actually talk about this issue. And the thing is, if we're going to get to zero emissions, there's no way to get there without addressing this issue. But anyway, Earth Justice is involved in a case about the uh, violations of the Federal Clean Water Act by Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations, CAFOs, um, and the resulting water pollution. Can you tell us what this case involves? And uh, about what Earth Justice is doing?
0: I'll start with just a bit of background. As you mentioned, we're um, talking about CAFOs, and CAFOs are really huge industrial operations that hold hundreds, thousands, sometimes even over a million animals in close confinement in buildings or feedlots rather than out in pastures. And these CAFOs are meant to raise as many animals as possible, as quickly and as cheaply as possible. And, you know, all of this happens at the expense of the environment, um, nearby community members, small farmers, and the animals themselves. So, as you mentioned, there's really extensive evidence showing that CAFOs across the country are discharging water pollution, but most CAFOs don't have permits under the Clean Water Act and these permits are required for CAFOs that discharge water pollution. So, EPA itself has acknowledged that this problem is existing, that many CAFOs are discharging water pollution in violation of the Clean Water Act. And in the face of this problem, Earth Justice and 50 additional organizations have submitted a petition for rulemaking to the EPA in October of 2022, Aimed at helping to address this problem of under permitting. Um, so, if the petition were granted, it would help ensure that the largest and most polluting CAPOs operate under a Clean Water Act permit, which is really what the law already requires. You're listening
1: to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. And I'm here today with Cara Goad. She's a senior associate attorney for the Sustainable Food and Farming Program at Earth Justice. Uh, Now, these permits that the corporations should get in order to operate their CAFOs, what do they require the corporations to do?
0: Well, we're talking about Clean Water Act permits, and they're, as it sounds, they're aimed at reducing and preventing water pollution from these massive operations and So they will require CAFO operators to follow what are called best management practices that are just aimed at preventing water pollution. And, you know, these practices might include things like developing a nutrient management plan, which is what helps the CAFO operators store and dispose of all of the manure and other waste that the CAFOs are generating so it doesn't pollute waterways. Um, CAFO um, Clean Water Act permits also require Uh, more public participation during the permitting process so community members can share their thoughts on how the CAFO is going to operate, how it's going to dispose of its waste, and this helps increase transparency around CAFOs. So, um, Clean Water Act permits offer really important benefits both for communities
1: and the environment. Do we know why the EPA has allowed these CAFOs to operate without the required permits?
0: EPA knows about this problem. It's acknowledged for decades that CAFOs are discharging pollution without Clean Water Act permits, which is a violation of the law. And EPA has actually tried to address the problem twice in the past. But each time courts struck down EPA's attempt to bring more CAFOs into compliance with the act. And we think our petition offers a legally sound solution to the problem. But until EPA acts, The agency's existing regulations right now leave it up to CAFO operators to determine whether they discharge pollution, and then if so, whether they're going to apply for a Clean Water Act permit. And this essentially allows the FOX to guard the hen house, and then you get the unsurprising result that many CAFOs just operate without the required Yeah,
1: exactly. Why not? Uh, But let's get a picture of what CAFOs are, how many there are in the U.S., and what they do.
0: The CAFO industry in the United States is really large and really widespread. So there are tens of thousands of CAFOs spread across almost every state. Likely there are many more than that. Uh, It's difficult to know exactly how many CAFOs there are because EPA and state agencies, they just don't keep adequate track of them. So for example, a 2019 report found that EPA lacked facility-specific information for the majority of CAFOs in the country. So for most of the CAFOs in the country, EPA doesn't know where they are. It doesn't know how many animals they can find or how and where they're disposing of their waste. And this is exactly the information that EPA should have in order to make sure that these CAFOs are properly regulated. Uh, You know, even though we have this, this difficulty of Knowing exactly how many CAFOs there are, EPA still estimates that there are over 21,000 large CAFOs, which are, you know, especially large operations that meet a certain size threshold that EPA has set. And EPA also estimates that there are approximately 450,000 animal feeding operations, which are smaller than CAFOs, but they still hold hundreds of animals in confinement, and they still generate really significant water and air pollution. So it's a vast industry spread across the country. To
1: reiterate, these are animals like cows, pigs, chickens, living creatures, and the CAFOs are spread all over the country. Are there concentrations in particular parts of the country, or are they just all over the country?
0: There are concentrations in particular parts of the country and in particular states. And in fact, there's really there's decades of evidence that shows that CAFOs are located disproportionately in communities of color and low-income communities and you know this is it's no surprise no one wants these facilities near them so they end up around people who have less political power and we can look to North Carolina for an example of this so there the state imposed a moratorium on new and expanded swine CAFOs but it did that only after a CAFO was planned near a golf resort in a white, wealthy area. It didn't do this as the KFOs spread throughout communities of color and low-income communities.
1: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Today we're hearing about how concentrated animal feeding operations pollute our water and get away with it because the EPA is unable to apply Clean Water Act regulations to them. It's a frightening story because the pollution of our water, but also pollution of land and air, goes unregulated and because of the power of agribusiness, the public hears nothing or very little about what's going on. We need people like my guest, Cara Goad, who dedicates her time and effort to taking the EPA to task so that the ongoing and dangerous pollution of our waterways can be stopped. Our mission at Mothering Earth is to bring you stories of people like her who are taking action in order to create a more sustainable world. So please tell people you know about Mothering Earth. Ask them to listen and subscribe on any podcast platform. Back to our interview with Kara Goad. We've heard about how CAFOs are generally located in low-income communities and how the pollution from these facilities disproportionately affects the people there. The pollution starts with literally billions of animals defecating and urinating every day. How much waste do they generate?
0: We have a... uh kind of picture of how much waste they're generating. And it's a tremendous amount of urine and feces and other waste. So a single cow can generate as much waste as 200 to 400 people, depending on the cow. So a facility with a thousand cows is like a city of, you know, 200,000 people. And then looking at all of the large capos in the country, which are just a subset of all of the capos in the country, As of 2012, they generated over 20 times the amount of fecal matter that humans in the United States generated. Um, And, you know, like I said, a a single CAFO can generate more waste than an entire city. So we're familiar with a uh, CAFO that has 80,000 pigs, and they produce more manure in that single CAFO than all of the people in Los Angeles. So It's just a staggering amount of waste from a single facility. So
1: how do the CAFOs manage this waste? What do they do with it?
0: Our petition is focused on swine and dairy CAFOs, uh, which use what's called wet manure management. And this means that they store urine and feces and other waste in liquid form in these vast pits that are often unlined and often out in the open uncovered. Or they'll use large tanks filled with the liquid waste. And to dispose of the waste, they spread it untreated on fields that can often be next to homes and other community spaces. And these methods of storing and disposing the waste really commonly cause serious water. So that's
1: how it gets into the water system through being sprayed on the land.
0: Exactly, both through being sprayed on the land. And we've looked at studies and heard first-hand accounts from neighbors that the capos often apply, because they generate so much waste, they often have to apply more than you know the soil and the crops on the field can take up. And that means that the excess runs off the field or it'll percolate into groundwater. And then you have these pits, which are unlined and uncovered. You know, they can overflow, they can breach, and this too releases large quantities of waste into surface water and groundwater. So why
1: is it they're not required to treat or disinfect this waste?
0: Even though, you know, a single CAFO is generating as much waste as an entire human city, and the waste that they're generating is really similar to human waste, the CAFOs aren't required to use any sort of treatment system to dispose of the waste. So... Unlike the septic systems or sewage treatment plants that we're familiar with for human waste, KFOs just dump untreated waste on the fields and you know the fact that they aren't required to treat or disinfect their waste is a reflection of an even larger problem with the KFO industry and that's that it's just explicitly or implicitly exempt from many environmental laws and regulations. So It's treated really differently than other polluting industries, which, you know, are required to obtain permits and comply with pollution restrictions. The CAFO industry has largely evaded these requirements. Um, They don't have to report their toxic air emissions. They don't have to monitor or reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. They don't have to treat or disinfect their waste or get clean water permits. And this is all... To the detriment of both the environment and communities. So,
1: why is it they're not required to treat or disinfect this waste?
0: Right. I I mean, I think a large piece of it is the power of the agricultural lobby that has a lot of influence over lawmakers, um, you know, and, and a lot of sway when it references things like small family farms, when in fact, what we're talking about today are not small farms, they're massive uh industrial operations controlled by huge multinational corporations so the agricultural lobby is really powerful and it's really latched on to a narrative to push its um you know its goals that it doesn't actually match with what we see on the ground, in terms of how our food is produced.
1: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm speaking today with Kara Goad, Senior Associate Attorney for the Sustainable Food and Farming Program at Earth Justice. So, now when this excrement ends up in the water, in rivers, streams, and then there is severe weather or storms, what happens?
0: So, things like strong storms and wet weather, they're a trigger for caper water pollution in a lot of instances. So of course they increase the likelihood that the waste pits are gonna breach or overflow and that the waste will then run off into you know, nearby waterways. And I think looking at Eastern North Carolina it provides a really stark picture of the effect of um, you know, strong storms. So there um, we had Hurricane Floyd in 1999 that caused at least 45 waste pits to overflow. Hurricane Matthew then happened in 2016, and it caused 14 pits to overflow. And then two years later in 2018, there was Hurricane Florence, which caused 49 pits to breach or overflow. And all of these overflows are happening in disproportionately communities of color and low-income communities. So these are the communities that are being flooded with urine and feces and other waste from these operations and it's only going to get worse as climate change progresses. Is
1: there anything the people who live in these communities can do?
0: Yeah, it's a tough question. Community members really unfortunately face an uphill battle when they're trying to address capo pollution. So both the Clean Water Act permitting problem means that it might erase the public's opportunity to share their input during the permitting process. So it takes away their voice in that way. Um, community members can try to urge their state lawmakers to address case pollution, but you know the powerful agricultural lobby makes it difficult to get state lawmakers to act. And in fact, what we see in many states, they've passed what are called right to farm laws, which really make it more difficult for community members to hold CAFOs accountable for their pollution. And community members, can they can try to report CAFO pollution to the state permitting agency, but many of our partners on the ground who live near CAFOs have shared that they don't feel that the agencies take their concerns seriously or really hold CAFOs accountable for their pollution. And in fact, some of our partners have shared that they've experienced harassment and intimidation after they've reported KFO pollution. So we've heard stories of harassing phone calls, of garbage being dumped in people's driveways, and even of bullet holes being shot in signs near people's homes after they've reported KFO pollution. So you know the the burden shouldn't fall on community members to monitor and report CAFOs. It's really EPA's responsibility to be doing
1: that. That sounds really frightening. Tell me about these uh, right-to-farm laws. What is that about?
0: Right-to-farm laws can do a variety of things. One thing that happens in the CAFO context is they place restrictions on the ability of community members to bring uh, what are called nuisance lawsuits against CAFOs. So these are lawsuits that say to the CAFO, you're causing pollution like air and water pollution, um, maybe other things like truck traffic or pests like flies and buzzards. you know, the CAFO is causing all of these things and it's disrupting the person who lives near the CAFO. It's disrupting their ability to enjoy their property, which is the right that they have. Uh, so they can bring a nuisance suit against the CAFO to make it stop doing these things that are harming the property owner. But the right to farm laws make it more difficult often for community members to do that. They'll set restrictions, perhaps on the amount of time that a community member has to bring a lawsuit like this, or they'll say that, um, you know, only community members living within a certain number of miles of a CAFO can bring them. Even though we know that CAFO pollution, both water and air pollution spreads many miles beyond the CAFO, it might make it more difficult for people who live further, but still experience the pollution to, to kind of try to hold the CAFOs accountable. So that's, that's kind of a look at what these right to farm, so called right to farm laws. Do. You're listening
1: to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, here today with Kara Goad, Senior Associate Attorney for the Sustainable Food and Farming Program at Earth Justice. We talked earlier about Earth Justice and 50 additional organizations submitting a petition to the EPA aimed at helping to address the problem of under permitting by CAFOs. What exactly does the petition ask the EPA to do?
0: Well, the petition asks EPA to adopt a rebuttable presumption that large CAFOs using wet manure management systems are actually discharging water pollution and so must obtain a Clean Water Act permit unless they can show that they're actually not causing any pollution. And the petition focuses in on large CAFOs that use wet manure management systems because these CAFOs are an especially significant source of water pollution because of how big they are and because they're storing their waste in in a liquid form. But these CAFOs make up a relatively small percentage of all the CAFOs in the country. So a really relatively small regulatory change like we're asking for in the petition could address a significant amount of water pollution. And what the presumption does is it kind of flips the script on the way that permitting for these CAFOs currently works. So rather than leave it up to CAFO operators to determine whether they discharge and then apply for a Clean Water Act permit, under the presumption that we're asking for, EPA would presume based on all of the evidence that we put in the petition, that large CAFOs using wet manure management systems, they do discharge unless they can prove that they're not discharging.
1: So basically, you're asking EPA to enforce an existing law, which is the Clean Water Act.
0: Exactly, right. The Clean Water Act calls out CAFOs, and it says that if you're a CAFO that discharges, you have to have a Clean Water Act permit. But because of EPA's current regulations, the CAFO operators aren't applying for permits. And what we're trying to do is offer a solution that would make it easier for EPA to ensure that, you know, the CAFOs the that are causing the most pollution and are a really significant problem are getting the permits that are already required under the law.
1: What are the prospects for the petition?
0: The, the ag lobby makes it difficult to better regulate CAFOs. But, you know, we think the petition presents a number of really compelling reasons why EPA should act. Now, um, the petition of course is full of evidence that shows that CAFOs are causing water pollution and they're doing it in violation of the Clean Water Act and it's disproportionately harming environmental justice communities. We have shared it with the National Environmental Justice Advisory Council, which is a committee that um, gives EPA advice and recommendations for addressing environmental justice issues And we've also shared the petition with members of Congress in the hopes that they'll also urge EPA to grant the petition. It's just hard to get lawmakers invested in the issue and go up against the really powerful agricultural lobbyists. Why
1: is this issue important to you? Why does it matter so much?
0: I think it matters because there are just tens of thousands of CAFOs, likely many more than that, spread across nearly every state in the country. They're causing toxic water and air pollution and emitting powerful greenhouse gases in almost every state in the country, and they're causing all this pollution, all this harm disproportionately in communities of color and low-income communities and rural communities. And so they're just a huge widespread problem, and we're not going to be able to transform our food system into one that's more sustainable, that's more just if we keep continuing as we are allowing CAFOs to pollute really without much regulation at all. And so, you know, I think in light of all of the harms they cause, it's really time for CAFOs to be regulated, just like every other polluting industry, so we can get to the kind of food system that's
1: sustainable and more just. Is there anything you feel the average person could do to get us to a more sustainable system?
0: Yeah, I think you know, first just learning more about where their food comes from and the impact it has on communities and the environment. Um, You know, I think people should know that the vast majority of the animal products that they consume, they're not produced on idyllic farms that you might see on the package of a food product, but really they're produced in these massive industrial animal factories that are causing pollution that harms both communities and the environment. And even even a small reduction in the amount of animal products that people consume can really help address the climate and environmental harms that the food system is causing. So both learning more and then trying to make changes in our diet to work toward a more just food system.
1: It's important to know where your food comes from and how it's produced. As Cara Goat says, learning about the environmental harms caused by our current industrial meat production system is a first step. Do the research yourself and then consider what you can do. If you're alarmed by what you've heard, you can also contact your local congressional representative and senators. Tell them about your concerns and ask them to take action on CAFOs and the enormous amounts of animal excrement that is going into our water. Our government representatives are there to do the work we ask them to do. Thanks so much for listening. Please tell people you know about the Mothering Earth podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform. Mothering Earth is also on Instagram at Mothering underscore Earth and on Facebook at Mothering Earth Pod. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news.